Welcome to Manage Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Ansaro, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Much has been written about implicit bias in healthcare when it is aimed at patients and affects healthcare outcomes, but what about implicit and explicit bias physicians or other healthcare workers have when it comes to how they view each other? In a recent paper published in JAMA Network Open, researcher surgeon Dr. Argivan Salas explored the topic of the implicit and explicit biases surgeons and healthcare providers have about gender and career roles. Dr. Salas, who completed medical school residency and her PhD at Stanford University, completed a fellowship in minimally invasive surgery and dissertation research focused on negative stereotypes about women in surgery and how those affect women training to become surgeons. Dr. Salas, thank you for joining us today on Managed Carecast. Thanks so much. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. In your paper, you and your fellow co-authors used the implicit association test to estimate gender bias using both a gender career test and then a gender specialty test, one that you all composed yourselves. Can you talk a little bit about these results? Basically, we have, as you said, two different IATs. One is uh, the gender career IAT, where people are associating either men or women with either careers or families. And these IATs are hosted on the Project Implicit website, implicit.harvard.edu, so anyone can go and take them. Um, For that part of the study, we wanted to look at people who had taken that particular IAT and were working in healthcare. The idea was to get a sense of what the environment is like for women in healthcare in terms of the biases they face. So we had almost 43,000 people in healthcare who had taken the gender career IAT and found that for both men and women, they had implicit biases associating men with careers and women with family. Both men and women also had explicit biases associating men with careers and women with families. Um, although women had less of that or less strong biases than did the men on the explicit bias. The other part of the study was the IAT that we created, which was looking, it was very similar in terms of structure to the gender career IAT, except it was men and women and then surgery and family medicine. And we found very similar findings, which was that both men and women associated men with surgery and women with family medicine Um, implicitly and explicitly as well. Both men and women were more likely to associate men with surgery and women with family medicine, although women did that to a lesser degree than did men. I noted in the introduction about how this issue of bias in surgery and in healthcare has been a longstanding interest of yours. Does this paper represent the largest amount of work that you've done on this topic? Oh, um, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't, it depends on what you mean, right, by a large. Certainly this has the most data of anything I've written so far, mainly because we were able to use the data from Project Implicit that go back um, about 12 years is what we included in the study. Um, So in terms of the number of data points, this probably is the biggest study I've done. Um, But if you look at time from 
say data collection to research publication <laughs> definitely has not been uh, the most challenging thing for me to put out in the world. Um, I've had other things I've worked on for a lot longer, actually even my dissertation research to get the papers published from that, from the time I started data collection to the time those got published was about five years. And what drew you to this topic? Um, well, when I was doing my PhD, actually, I learned about the implicit association test and I thought it was really interesting. And that was around the time when I started thinking, could we develop an IAT that was related to surgery? Since that was what I was studying, as you mentioned, for my dissertation, I was looking at gender stereotypes and how they affect women in training. So this seemed like another way to look at that. And I kind of had the idea. We actually tested some of the terms that we might use in the IAT. And then, <clears throat> to be honest, I just didn't have the resources and the bandwidth to pursue it further at that time. So I kind of held on to the idea. And then when I started as faculty at Washington University, I had a little bit more bandwidth for um, taking on something new, and I had a research assistant and um, was able to find some excellent medical students who wanted to help with the project, so I could really put together a team to do the study that I wanted to do, um, and that's why we were able to get it done. So we collected the data for this not quite two years ago, and then it still took some time to find a home for it in terms of a, a journal to publish it in. But I'm really glad that we were able to get it all done and get it out in the world so people can um, read about it. And can you talk a little bit about how you actually um, edited or altered the implicit association test to specifically look for the differences when people associate words with specialties? Yeah, so basically the way the IATs work is that they're, um, for better or worse, binary. So you have um, Two, they, there's specific IAT terminology which I'm going to try to avoid because it's not really that intuitive for people, but basically you have two sets of two terms. So the gender career one, one of the sets of terms was male versus female, and the other set of terms was career versus family. So we basically kept the male and female structure of the gender career IAT, which is, by the way, using names. Um, that's how they signify male or female. and then changed what there was about career and family and what we ended up doing ultimately was to use basically logos from different societies that represented like the american college of surgeons for example for surgery and then other ones that represented family medicine and so when people would take the test they would see they would be told they would be given instructions that say they should put male terms and surgery terms, let's say on the left side, and they should put female terms and family medicine terms over on the right side. And they would go through a whole trial of doing that. And then we would switch it. So they would have male and family medicine on the left and female and surgery on the right. And then they would go through a whole trial of that. And basically the test compares how long it takes them to do each specific sorting task. And it turns out that they were, the whole idea, the premise of the IAT is that the longer it takes to make an association suggests that you don't associate those terms readily together. And if it's a shorter amount of time it takes to do the association that you do readily associate those things together. And so that's what we mean when we say people associated men with surgery is that their reaction time for 
sorting men in surgery terms together and then women in family medicine terms together was the shortest as compared to sorting men in family medicine and women in surgery. Were the results more pronounced for certain ethnicities over others? There were some minor differences, but really they're so small. They're statistically significant, right? So their p-value is small, but the actual magnitude of the differences is, is really small. So it's hard to say there's anything meaningful there. The IAT, as I understand it, is a well-known, well-validated tool, but it does have some limitations. Does that affect your results at all? Yeah, that's a great point, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, the IAT is definitely a controversial test in terms of being a measure of bias. There was a great article about this in the New York Times a couple of years ago um, for anybody who's interested. And the criticisms are, by the way, that it's not reliable from one, uh, one instance of taking the test to another instance of taking the test um, and that it doesn't predict behavior. I think that the criticisms are, are valid and yet it is the only, this, it's got the most amount of data supporting its use in terms of anything that measures bias. So that's why we decided to use it. If there were some other better tests out there, I certainly would have used it, but this is just the best thing that's, that's available. And it really does have a couple of decades of research supporting its use. So I feel pretty good about it. I, I don't, I wouldn't probably etch in stone what we're, we found here, but I think it's likely a representation of reality. And one of the things that happens in research, even in my short research career, I found that how we interpret things changes over time. For example, intersectionality was not something that I, as a researcher, really was thinking about 10 years ago when I was doing my PhD. And now it comes up every time we do any research or we do any writing, and, and it's important. So things evolve over time, but with regard to specifically to the IET, I think we have you know, over or about 15 years of data um, suggesting that it's valid and reliable. So I feel okay about that. And then on the gender specialty test, that test was taken by uh, participants at a surgery conference. Is that correct? That's right. So um, basically we thought about how we could get the widest sample of surgeons and decided that a conference where there are, I think, 10 to 15,000 um, surgeons every year was a good place to do it. So I had a team of people who were recruiting surgeons who attended the meeting to participate in our study. Are there any other limitations to this study that you think could have affected things, perhaps the age of the people? Yeah, I agree. Age is a good one because we did not recruit as many older surgeons. Um, we might have found more pronounced bias is my guess, if we had included more older surgeons. And I think the reason, that my personal take on why there aren't as many older people is just that the people who were doing the recruiting are relatively young. They're medical students and my research assistant, and likely they felt more comfortable approaching other younger people rather than approaching um, some of the older surgeons. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are the implications of a study like this, not only for physicians and healthcare staff, but for the hospitals and the institutions they work for? Well, what I would really like to see happen is for leaders of hospitals and healthcare organizations to take data like ours together with a number of other studies that have come out over the last couple of years looking at 
how women are introduced or what awards get given to women or who um, is able to write perspective or commentary type pieces in our medical journals. I would like them to put that all together and say, wow, there really is a bias here against women and we need to make an active change. And back to that point about intersectionality is also how is that affecting people who have more than one minority identity? So if they have a minority, or by minority, I mean underrepresented in medicine. So if they have a racial or ethnic identity that's also underrepresented, or if they have a disability, or if they have, or if they're, if they're non-binary in their gender. So that's another limitation of this study is we didn't have any accounting for that. We just had male and female. But anyway, back to the big point, I would love for leaders to say, wow, this is really a problem. Um, it's not in the minds of the women. It's not in the minds of anybody who's underrepresented. This is a real thing. And we have to take action. Otherwise, you know, people say, well, ha haven't things changed over time? And aren't there more women in medicine now than ever before? And sure, but that change is excruciatingly slow. 50% of enrollees in medical school now are women. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, yeah. They, um, I believe it was the entering class of 2017 was the first time that there were actually a little bit more women, a few more women um, entering medical school than there were men. But when you filter that out to specialty surgeons, are, I think you wrote 20% female? 25%. 25% of um, assistant professors in surgery are women. If you care to talk about it in some of your previous surgical roles or while you were in training, what sorts of things did you experience that relate to this topic or microaggressions mm -hmm. to colleagues? Or is that something you want to get into given everything that's currently in the news these days? Yeah, um, we actually, since you mentioned, we actually have a paper coming out, I think it's this week, on microaggressions um, in surgery. But so I, I think that's definitely relevant to this work. When I, both as a, a resident and as a faculty member, and even as a fellow too, I definitely was kind of inspired to do this work based on the experiences that I had in my clinical life and in my responsibilities. I think there are expectations that people have of men and women, regardless of what profession, and almost universally across Western and maybe even third world countries as well, where we expect women to be what's called communal, so kind and nurturing and um, interested in developing other people. Whereas we expect men to be what's called agentic, so direct and assertive and taking control. And one of the challenges for women is that those qualities that we associate with men are also the qualities that we associate with leaders. So when women are in leadership positions, which physicians and surgeons certainly are, they're kind of stuck because if they act as a leader, then they're not well liked. But if they act as a woman, they're not well respected. And so it's a really challenging kind of tightrope for women to walk. And I basically discovered that through my own personal experiences and then started looking at 
as you mentioned in my dissertation, how stereotypes affect women um, trained to become surgeons and then have continued to look at that a little bit more broadly across medicine. And, and to be honest, I really do think it's very much the same in other professions. Women are facing these same obstacles across the board. So your name is, um, your, your ethnicity, your, your family um, background is Persian, and your first name to someone who's unfamiliar with it, they might not recognize it as a female name. Would you sometimes get a look of uh, reaction from a patient if you walked in the room and they, they weren't expecting a female doctor, they thought Argaban was a male name? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely possible. But even beyond that, the thing that I think a lot of us women surgeons have experienced from patients or working with patients is spending a lot of time explaining, you know, what their medical problem is, what the surgical treatment is, the risks and benefits and all of that, only to have the patient ask, who's doing the surgery? Hmm which is always a little bit, I mean, you know, patients don't understand the system, right? They're, they're not working in healthcare, but for us, it's a little bit jarring because you're thinking why, who else would be explaining all of this to you except for the surgeon? Um, and that I think has nothing to do with my name. Obviously, I think that's just a phenomenon that women surgeons experience. I do think that it's hard to disentangle how much of say my personal experience has been because of people's biases about my nationality versus my gender. And that's part of the trouble for say black women or Latina women. We're often left wondering what was behind the statement that a person just made to us or behind the question that they just asked. And it takes mental power away from the legitimate medical work that we're trying to do. That's the unfortunate part of it. Yeah, that's a whole other layer mm -hmm. when, when you're talking about these topics. Yeah. And it occurred to me that surgeons are paid considerably more than primary care doctors, pediatricians, mm -hmm. all of those nurturing, um, mm -hmm. warmer type of positions that the public may think of. And so this could have an impact or does have an impact on the earning potential of anyone who is not male, in other words. Sure. So there's actually two things related to what you just said that are important. One is um, that there is a devaluation, a financial devaluation of the type of work that women do. So we know that when women go into a profession that previously was um, dominated by men, the earnings in that profession go down. And the opposite happens when men go into a profession that was previously dominated by women, the earnings go up. And that's part of why, I mean, because you could ask, why do family practitioners get paid less or general um, practitioners get paid less than surgeons? It's a valid question. Um, and I bet there's all sorts of reasons, but that could be part of it, right? That the, what is valued in family medicine is, like you said, maybe a little bit more warmth and nurturing and kindness than it is potentially in surgery. And the other part of it is that when we talk about pay equity in medicine, and actually in other fields too, often people say, well, women choose the lower paying specialties. So what are we to do about that? 
we can't make them choose a different specialty. That thinking is a little bit flawed because one, what we really ought to be asking is not that, but how do we make all specialties appealing to all people? Because we want to make sure that we're able to draw, that every specialty is able to draw from the entire talent pool. When you restrict to, you know, only men or mostly men, then you're missing out on a lot of people with a lot of great ideas um, who could provide really excellent patient care. So that's not doing anybody a service to say, well, the women are choosing this. No, well, maybe they are, but why are they choosing that? What's so distasteful about the specialty that you have that women aren't choosing it? And how can you change that? That, I think, is one piece of it. And the other is that when we look within specialties, so taking aside or taking away this question of what women are choosing, even within specialties, women are paid less than men, even looking at people who are all holding full-time positions. What else do you want to say about your paper? Are there any findings here that surprised you or your co-authors? Well, you know, one thing that's been pointed out by people as they perceive to be odd is that, and maybe it is a little odd, is that on the gender career IAT, women had um, stronger implicit biases associating men with career and women with family than did men. It's a little hard to know why that was the case. I do, like, I've had people ask me this question, and i like to point out that not everyone who's a who works in healthcare is a what we what they called in on the IAT a diagnosing and treating practitioner. So there are medical assistants, there are LVNs, there are RTs, OTs, you know, there's all different kinds of people who work in medicine. And so maybe that and, and by the way, the majority of those people are not diagnosing and treating practitioners. So it may be that there are some differences across those categories. Probably the most uh, surprising finding was that on the gender career IAT, women were more likely than even the men to associate women with family and men with careers. It's a little bit hard to know exactly why that's the case, especially when the majority of the people who took the gender career IIT uh, and were working in healthcare were women. So that is a little bit confusing to try to understand. I think it may be that there are a lot of different types of people in healthcare who have, part, who have responded or taken this gender career IIT. So that includes LVNs and MAs all the way up to physicians and dentists and veterinarians potentially. We don't have granular data on people's occupations. We just have broad categories within healthcare. But it may be that people who have different roles and different educational backgrounds have different expectations and perceptions about men and women's roles. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? The main thing that I hope people take away from this is that there definitely is a bias that's held by both men and women about women in medicine and in surgery. This study doesn't look at performance in any way or ability in any way. Um, you know, there was one article that was written about this that said men and women think men are better surgeons. That's not 
there's nothing in this paper that says anything like that. And there's nothing that any of the participants in this study were asked that would even allow us to address that question. Um, so that's not the takeaway. Takeaway is just that there is bias about who belongs in what role. And undoubtedly, that has significant consequences for women in medicine, but also women of color, people who are non-binary or transgender or have disabilities or any number of other um, characteristics that people have that may be underrepresented. And so the question is not, is there bias? The question is, what do we do now to try to create opportunities for both men and women to be able to perform to their highest capability and succeed and, and provide the best possible patient care. Interesting. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us today on Managed Carecast. This was a really interesting conversation and I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. To learn more about this topic, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes where we have links to Dr. Salas' study. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.